0: Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Tonight we have David Schmader with Weed, the User's Guide, a subject very close to Denver's heart. David, from 1999 to 2014, he served as the associate editor of Seattle's Pulitzer Prize winning The Stranger, where he wrote the column last day's The Week in Review. In 2015, he became the creative director of the nonprofit writing center, the Greater Seattle Bureau of Fearless Ideas. Most notably, however, he annotated and provided the commentary for the cult classic *Showgirls*. Um, and now, here to talk about his book, without further ado, is David Schmader. Hi. So I'm going to just read a couple, few selections from the book, and then we're going to do Q and A, Q&A, and then we'll be free. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. It is wonderful to see you. All right, I'm going to start with the dedication. This book is dedicated to weed dealers, whose legal risk-taking allows so many of us to enjoy the miraculous effects of marijuana, which are pleasurable enough to make up for those dealers who insist on giving lectures on Bigfoot before handing over the goods. Most importantly, this book is dedicated to every American imprisoned for nonviolent marijuana possession, whose fates must be rectified through legislative action if legal marijuana is ever to be considered a truly guilt-free pleasure. From the introduction. The life enhancing potential of marijuana first made itself known to me when I was 19. A group of friends and I were headed out to a Mexican restaurant, and en route, one friend whipped out a joint and passed it around. I'd smoked weed before and enjoyed it. I'd, ha- I'd had Mexican food before and enjoyed it. But the combination of the two was revelatory. One of Weed's great powers is sensory enhancement. And my sensory enhanced encounter with a nothing fancy enchilada plate was a full immersion technicolor opera starring pico de gallo soaked rice and delicious bits of charred cheese around the edges. When I was done, I felt like I just had a short face to face with God in my mouth. This enchilada epiphany led me to further investigation of Weed's power to enrich sensory perception and facilitate immersive engagement with the world. I was thrilled to find it worked with music. I spent what felt like hours swimming around in the space between notes of Cowboy Junkie's languorous The Trinity Session. It worked on comedy. I also obsessed over the sob laughing through compulsive replays of 30 Rock's Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. It also helped conversation. Still, the fact remained that all these seriously enriching pleasures were forbidden— Banned by law and disparaged by society, the majority of which lazily adhere to the stereotype of potheads as basement-dwelling burnouts on the level of the fictional Cheech and Chong. But what about all the high-functioning, life-loving adults, doctors, lawyers, engineers, entrepreneurs, authors, parents, who comprise the vast majority of weed smokers I know? the reality of responsible adult marijuana use is a fact of life that's ever more apparent, thanks in large part to citizen-driven efforts to reclassify, decriminalize, and legalize marijuana. This book is a guide for all those interested in exploring the wide, wonderful, post-war-on-drugs hyperbole world of marijuana. And that all sounds great, but perhaps you're wondering, does weed require a user's guide? Aren't the basic facts known to every middle school rebel puffing behind a dumpster? Yes and no. Mostly no. Yes, marijuana's ability to produce psychoactive effects in human users is common knowledge. But beyond this fact lies a world of nuance and discernment that I will map in the book, synthesizing information from the existing pool of marijuana wisdom and offering myself up as an experienced test subject and tour guide. Another reason for a user's guide. Today's concentrated marijuana products are a far cry from the grassy stuff folks might have smoked at Woodstock or in the 80s in college. A fact that makes even past personal experience an unfortunately unreliable guide to 21st century weed. What you won't find in this book, reckless encouragement to smoke marijuana. I don't care if you smoke marijuana. Even among people who love it, experiences of being high differ widely, and there are tons of folks who just don't enjoy the sensations marijuana offers. To these people, I offer my sympathies, my support, and Chapter 7, if you're high and don't like it. Okay, then this is from the, it's like a history, and these are like little Q&As sprinkled throughout the history. Was Jesus a stoner? The answer to this question is as twisty and conditional as religion itself. It begins in the original Hebrew version of the book of Exodus, which features a recipe for holy anointing oil that calls for over six pounds of kane an aromatic grass that's been identified by several reputable botanists and linguists as cannabis. According to lore, early anointing rituals involved more than just an oily thumb swipe across the forehead. Subjects were drenched in oil. The explicit purpose of which was to sanctify the anointed one as most holy. As for Jesus Christ, Christ translates to the anointed one, which suggests that Jesus came into contact with holy weed oil at least once. So if Jesus indeed underwent a full drench anointing with cannabis infused oil, he may have once gotten very high. However, most reputable botanists and linguists identify cannabasm not as cannabis, but as sweet cane and or Indian lemongrass, in which case Jesus probably never got stoned, but for a while he smelled as beautiful as his ideals. Has racism played a role in U.S. marijuana laws? Dear God, yes. The primary reason cannabis came to be perceived as a dangerous drug is that its use was first noted among those perceived to be dangerous people. Quote, there are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers, said Federal Bureau of Narcotics Chief Harry Anslinger in 1930. The quote continues. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing results from marijuana use. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. End of quote. That was a government official. Um, (laughs) From these reprehensible roots grew the United States' current anti-marijuana legislation, which avoids Anslinger's rank bigotry while remaining effectively racist. In America, whites and blacks have all but equal rates of marijuana usage, but blacks are almost four times as likely to face a marijuana-related arrest. If U.S. marijuana laws continue to be revised without commensurate re- revision of sentencing guidelines, then we, the people, remain complicit in the same racist bullshit propagated by Harry Anslinger. Next one. Will marijuana render me criminally insane and kill me? Probably not, but no one can blame you for being wary. For millennia, ma- marijuana has been accused of arousing all sorts of harrowing states in users. In the greatest work of marijuana scaremongering, the 1936 film Reefer Madness, weed is presented as an all-purpose evil, inspiring users to commit rapes and murders en route to lifelong commitments in mental hospitals. Such cartoonishly monstrous depictions of marijuana use held sway in society until enough Americans had experienced weed's mellow pleasures for themselves. By the early 1970s, Reefer Madness was playing as a comedy on the midnight movie circuit. And by the 1980s, the old ploy of lumping cannabis with the hardest of hard drugs was no longer acceptable. The worst thing President Reagan's war on drugs propaganda machine could say about marijuana is that it shouldn't be used by minors, drivers, and on-the-job surgeons. In the 21st century, the scariest stories being told about weed, that chronic use can damage memory, and that early chronic use might trigger mental illness, are all pretty much factual. That's progress. Now we move on to a section called THC Feelings An Overview. The basic mechanics of getting high remain the same whether you're smoking weed, vaporizing hash, or scarfing a can of butter croissant. Sorry about that. Um, leading the charge and doing most of the heavy lifting, cannabinoids, the chemical compounds found in marijuana that act on receptors throughout our brains and bodies to produce an array of feelings known as being high. Scientists have, had, have identified 85 different cannabinoids, the most beloved and psychoactively powerful of which is tetrahydrocannabinol. I've never said that out loud before. Hereby abbreviated to THC. Um, thank you for breaking my... THC, cherry, mouth, this is getting worse. Okay, unlike other psychoactive drugs, cannabis can't be categorized as simply a stimulant like cocaine, a depressant like alcohol, or a hallucinogen like LSD. Instead, the effects of weed combine elements of all three categories. On the depressant front, weed brings a reduction in stress and anxiety, ushering users into a state of relaxation and diminished pain, thanks to cannabinoids reduction of the number of pain messages sent to the body from the brain. Also affected, issues of physical coordination and perceptions of time and space. Avoid driving, performing surgery, and overconfidently descending staircases while high. On the stimulant front, cannabis can flood users with feelings of energized well-being that border on euphoria. It's not unusual for the face of a freshly high person to bear an inexplicable mile-wide smile. With these feelings of well-being, brought about by the cannabinoids' upping of dopamine and norepinephrine levels, comes a general heightening of sensory perception. Colors are brighter, flavors are richer, jokes are funnier, cats are fluffier. For many users, weed produces a rush of creativity, rich with new ideas, speedy associations, and, a co- and cohesive abstract thinking. Beyond the simple depressant stimulant divide lies marijuana's hallucinogenic properties, which are generally mild and make themselves known through an expansion of perception that seems to pull users into the eternal present, where they experience the world with fresh wonder and awe. However, in high doses, especially high doses of edible marijuana, the THC of which is processed through the liver and turned into superpowered 11 11-hydroxy-THC, an entirely different drug, weed can inspire something close to a baby LSD trip, complete with audiovisual hallucinations and epiphany-driven paralysis. A moment's silence for, more, for Maureen Dowd. All right, is weed an aphrodisiac? Technically speaking... No. Weed can do a great many things to enhance sex once it's happening, but it's not a sexual stimulant. It won't inspire sex, but it can make those interested in having sex get super into it. Kissing, sucking, licking, touching, being touched, all these activities can become epic adventures in the slow-mo, sensory-enhanced world of weed. If you are someone who enjoys sex, by yourself or with others, you must try it doing high. Hey, hey, we're the munchies. It's a fact of high life sometime after ingesting weed, users will be overwhelmed by the desire to eat everything. Known colloquially as the munchies, puffin stuff, and involuntary mouth slaughter, the hunger that follows a high is brought on by THC's mimicking of the hunger hormone ghrelin, which instructs the body to seek out sustenance while increasing our ability to smell food and driving us to eat more of it. Add to this weed's amplification of the sensual pleasures of taste and smell and you've got a perfect storm of biological drives conspiring to turn every stoner into an amateur competitive eater. Successful navigation of the munchies involves taking advantage of weed's luxurious food enhancement properties without falling prey to the temptation to eat 16 servings of everything. For more on Munchie Control, see Chapter 6. On Paranoia or Why Won't That Dog Stop Judging Me? For a fair number of users, weed is a one-way ticket to paranoia, with roughly a quarter of recreational users experiencing anxiety, self-consciousness, judgmental introspection, and even panic attacks after ingesting THC. The reason for this highly predictable occurrence... Dopamine, another naturally occurring chemical mimicked by THC, which can trick the brain into sending out errant warnings about threats of danger, making subjects unnerved by even the most common situations, from answering the phone to making eye contact with a dog. Why are some weed users transported to a land of peace and tranquility while others are cast into black holes of introspection? Blame the entourage effect, wherein cannabinoids and terpenes bounce around individual brains to produce highly personal results. If you are someone who smokes weed and feels insane, admit you're cursed with a weed-hating brain and move on. And this is the last bit from the finale. I live in a state that's fully legalized marijuana for recreational use, which is a wonderful thing. But any and all legal weed wonderfulness remains tainted so long as our prisons hold those doing time, sometimes life sentences, for nonviolent marijuana convictions. So as I leave you, dear reader, I beg you to do two things. First, support any and all efforts to reclassify marijuana at the federal, mar- at the federal level. Simply moving marijuana from its severely restrictive Schedule I classification to a less restrictive Schedule II would enable life-saving studies of marijuana's medical potential, while officially killing the notion that marijuana is a narcotic on par with heroin. And two, do everything in your voting, marching, and letter-writing power to support an overhaul of marijuana sentencing laws, including the granting of clemency to those serving time for nonviolent marijuana convictions. As CNN Mike Riggs wrote... It should be cruel and unusual to mete out life-without-parole sentences for a drug so mainstream that Colorado is using state-collected pot taxes to build new schools. The end. Thank you. Oh, now we ask questions. So ask me questions, and then I repeat the question so they can tape it, and it's... Okay. Hi. Hi. the question is you've smoked over 200 times and never gotten high and you think it might be and you've heard that there might be a connection with uh (laughs) i've always heard that that cigarettes makes your high last longer i have smart i have friends are like no that's why i smoke um I don't know why you haven't gotten high, and I kind of want to try 201, man. (laughs) Um, Also, there's like it didn't work for me in high school for a long time. Like, there's some, I I think that's semi common that like the first maybe six times or three or six times you're like doing it to be naughty, but you're not really getting the experience. You're just being counterculture. But 200, I have not heard of, and you should probably sue. (laughs) Other questions? I was just discussing this with someone, and where can you usually le- legally use it? That's the big trap now. It's like you can be at home H- home is it like and we I was uh, not on the porch or- you can't be porching evert yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> the um but i mean there's, they haven't figured out anything close to a bar equivalent here yet, right no that's okay and it 's like a private club yeah, it has to be private. right that 's the next frontier because if it 's legal in the equivalent of booze, I mean yeah, but there's then we get into the whole thing We, we pass such stringent laws about smoking inside, um, which we all appreciate for the most part, so it 's like what are we going to do um, and so the answer to that question I hope will change very soon, and there will be a million more answers to give you besides home and <laughs> In a moving car with tinted windows. <laughs> <laughs> Other questions? Hi. Right. Oregon has has has. The question was whether Washington State might get sued like Colorado has. Um, and we have Oregon as one of our neighbors, and they have legal marijuana too. So they're on our side. Yep. Um. I will know soon. I they it's legal enough they're sending me there to like talk about be a weed spokes model. Um but I don't know if it's as full of like if the um commercial market is going. Hi. Hi. That's my cousin. Um, <laughs> you know there in the there's a definite economic impact on the state which prevent them from having an economic problem because it'll take away from their economic impact. Oh. Ooh, that's um, I know. We all think of weed as like everyone's going to get along and flash peace signs and make you know have potlucks. And no, it's going to be a cutthroat business as we're seeing. I've not thought of it to that level. In in Seattle, we had. Um, which could be a clue to like how nasty it could get, because I, since you've been able to conceive that, I'm sure someone else has, and it will be implemented soon. <laughs> yeah. This, this was a guy named uncle Ike. He runs uncle Ike's. It's the big, it's like the flashiest McDonald's weed store in Seattle. Um, and someone else was going to open, uh, a, a competing store in maybe six blocks and in, he had a friend who, had, on the same block this new store when it opened, who had, ran, like, a key and shoe repair shop, and he bought him, a, like, a Miss Pac-Man machine to put in there, and it became an arcade, and you could not be within 100 yards of it. <laughs> so people are going to get really crafty about this thing. Um, and <laughs> I know you just drop some kitty toy, and then all of a sudden you can't, like, it's, the terrain changes. Um, and the idea of, like, yeah... Shutting down other states just so you're, so you remain the destination state for marijuana of that region, would be, I don't know, if it's if it's always turned up to the voters. Voters, I think, will increasingly, as they see the revenues, tax revenues, even people who don't, particularly have any interest in smoking weed. I think between the tax revenues and the that little girl, Charlotte's Web girl, um, who's seizures are being controlled by cbd is just going to change so many hearts and minds because that girl doesn't want to get high it's like it's you hate to be like we that kid is going to change everything because it, she shoots down so many of the arguments that that's persist for le, legal weed um so between that and the revenues i think that's where the ballast of people who don't who have no interest in smoking weed but will have a reason to care at that point um, anything else hi I can't hear you. Will you repeat? Can we get Reefer Madness? You can, but don't. <laughs> There's some bad movies that are great to watch, and Reefer Madness isn't one of them. It's terrible. But you can watch it on DVD if you want to like relive the horror. But yes, it is. Someone gave it to me once, and I watched it, and I felt terrible for myself. Hey. Great. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Really nice to see you. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.